0: And today, this has been stirring with with me for quite a long time, and uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight this morning into my past. So it's going to be five short stories this morning, and uh, let's see how we go. Story number one, God knows our end from our beginning. Why do I start with this? It's probably something you've all know and have heard before, but I was at Hans' fortieth birthday party last year. His fortieth, four zero, the big four zero, and it was a nice gathering at his house. And the party was great. So much food, typical in the Baird household, and plenty of meat. And at the end, a number of people started to to talk, and one of those was his uncle, Uncle Jabez. And he quite simply dropped this line into the conversation that evening, and it hit me. And sometimes when God speaks, it catches you off guard, and it completely caught me off guard. But I thought to myself, wow, that's absolutely amazing when I look in my past from the time on my birth and the stuff I can remember till now God's known it all already because he knows our beginning from our end your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be that's quite amazing isn't it that God knows our beginning from our end But the thing that grabbed me that particular evening was the fact he sort of said, well, because God knows our end, he goes back to our beginning and puts stuff in our way and circumstances and difficulties and joys and stuff to ensure that we reach the destination that he's planned for us. And I sat there at Hans' 40th. And thought, that's absolutely amazing. And it made some of the things that I've been through in my past make sense for the first time, I think. And I thought, God, you're in control. You're totally in control of me and of my destiny. You're in control. And yeah, the enemy jumps in from time to time to put some little blockages in. To try and knock us off our guard. But God is bigger than all of that. He's bigger than all of that. And he ensures that we reach the destination that he's got for us. Songs of praise in the six o'clock news. This is a bit of an interesting one. Who likes songs of praise? I don't see many hands. Who likes the six o'clock news? Why do I use these two stories? Well, this was an interesting phase in... My life. As most of you know, I've been brought up in the the Methodist church, and it's really interesting this morning how God's got a sense of humor, because he's caused both my parents to be here this morning, and they haven't heard some of this stuff. So I take this moment dad as a confession. It's going to be an interesting discussion at lunchtime, let me tell you. I grew up in the Methodist church. And part of it was quite a vibrant youth club called MAYC. And one particular year, songs of praise got actually broadcast from Methodist Central Hall. And MAYC people—we wear these very bright yellow T-shirts, and it's yellow and green. What an interesting colour combination! And we used to descend on mass each and every year, so all the youth clubs from the entire country coming together once a year for a massive big celebration. It was great. It was time away from your mum and dad, having a laugh. You're in London, enjoying yourself in bits and pieces. And Songs of Praise cameras were there. And I still remember the point in time during this, singing my heart out, that the camera just panned across to me. I was thinking, I'm going to be on TV. (laughs) And sure enough, When we watched the broadcast back on TV, there was Mark Baden wearing his silly yellow hat, bright yellow t-shirt, on Songs of Praise. And my parents were busting with pride. I remember mum saying, look at that, my boy. And Sunday, at church, all the old folk, I saw you on Songs of Praise. How wonderful. Really interesting, isn't it, how people perceive you. So that was the well-to-do, held-together, church-going, lovely young man, went to private school, did all the right things. Let's just park that over there. The six o'clock news. This happened probably only about two or three weeks later, and my parents probably won't even remember it. But they had a news bulletin. There was a concern at the time for these things called rave parties, warehouse parties, where young people went en masse to these drug-fuelled, I can't even describe it now, at the time it seemed marvellous, going into these massive warehouses with the music blaring out incredibly loud. The music's going, the lights are going, the smoke machines, there's dancers on stage, it's absolutely amazing. And I went in there for my first ever rave with my friends from college. And they were dancing all night. All night. So you get in there about 8 o'clock, 4 in the morning. They're still going. I'm like, I'm knackered. I had a stitch after about 45 minutes. I was dehydrated. I was sweating buckets. I was thinking, how on earth are they doing that? They're obviously fitter than me. And so it's about four a.m. in the morning. And I staggered over to Mark, my friend at the time. I said, Mark, I ain't being funny, mate, but how are you keeping going? And he goes, Take one of these or an energy pill. And he flicked one of these little tiny white tablets into my hand. And without giving it another thought, I popped it in my mouth. Yeah. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. This is really easy now. Ba-dum. And I danced the night away, thinking, that energy pool is pretty good. So the next month, I went to another party like that. And I said, Mark, do you want to come? And I said, uh, it's a bit expensive. I can't really afford it. They said, no problem, because you've got a car. And I had a wonderful little Datsun 100A in poo brown (laughs) colour that was my pride and joy it cost me 50 quid but it was my car and I loved it and this little Datsun 100a in the colour of brown got me and my college mates to and from college and did quite a lot of journeying and so I drove them to the next particular party. They paid for my ticket. In I went. I was like, You got any more of those energy tablets? I, was, I don't know whether I was really naive or whatever. I said, Yeah, yeah, you can have a couple. Next time you've got to pay. I said, Pay? Where'd you get them from? Oh, I've got a friend that can get them for you. I so that night, I didn't just have one, I had two. Because I thought, if I'm going to dance all night long, then I need to have a couple of these things dance the night away. Halfway through that particular night, I got pulled out from the stage. And on the stage, you've got these huge, great speakers, systems. You've got the DJ at the back. There's lights going mentally. And there's these stage dancers. And believe it or not, back in those days, before I became a father and I lost all the, all the ability to dance, <laughs> it happens. I don't know why. At the birth of your first child, they go, Here's your son. I go, fantastic. I can't dance anymore. They said, come up on stage. We think you're good. And I was wearing these bright orange dungarees. They were issued by British Rail. Don't ask me how I got them, but I managed to get my hand on a pair. And under the UV lights, they looked amazing. And believe it or not, in those days, I had hair down to about my shoulders. It looked wonderful. I had it tied up in a ponytail. I had so much hair. And I had these silly little, you know, the workman white mask things? I had one of those on, sunglasses, hair tied back, orange dungarees. What did I look like? <laughs> <laughs> what did I look like? And there was me. I was like, on stage. I was like, fantastic. I'm on stage as well. They said, dance tonight. And if you get through tonight and we like you, we'll offer you a job. I was thinking, well, I've already got a job. And I had a job at McDonald's. And i have been working at McDonald's to keep my college stuff going on. So I didn't really need a job, but I thought to myself, well, if I can get into these gigs for free, that'd be great. And so I danced that night, and they said, fantastic, we want to put you on the books. I think, brilliant, double bubble. I can work at McDonald's, earn a few quid, and then a few more quid at the rave parties. Didn't think to ask how much my wage was going to be. But in the morning... I was sort of saying, well, how much do I get paid? And they threw me a bag with about 50 ecstasy tablets in it. And they said, that's your pay. So in the space of two months, I turned from never being into that sort of thing before into a way of them making me into a dealer. Because I thought to myself, I don't want all of these. And they said, well, you don't have them all yourself. You get, get them sold. You make a few quid. And so that's what I did. I divided it up between my friends and said, look, if you can give me, sell two or three for me, give me the cash and keep the rest for yourselves. And that's how life went on. So on the 6 o'clock news, that particular thing, for some reason we were sitting there with all our tea, tea in our Blast. laps. I think it must have been a special occasion because usually dinner was around the table. But I remember that point vividly when the 6 o'clock news came out and said there's an issue. With all these parties going on. And mum looked across to me and sort of said, Mark, you go to those sort of things, don't you? I hope you're not involved in anything like that. And believe it or not, the next panel on the screen was me, full facial, eyes wide as sources, wearing my orange dungarees, the gas mark on my face. I was thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to say now? So park it. Over here, wonderful Mark Baden. Never said boo to a goose. Goes to church, looks after the kids in junior church, goes to MAYC, all part of that. Over here, a very different individual. Don't laugh at the next picture. I'm quite glad it's quite sort of dark. You can't see it. PJ, you see, I did have a reasonably fit body at one point in time. You probably can't see it, but my hair is blonde, and my beard is blonde. I was a fashion student. What do you expect? These parties got more and more frequent. I traveled basically the entire country. I used to finish my shift at McDonald's at about, say, 5 o'clock, run home, get changed, go out. And drive through all over the UK. One of these times, I drove as far as Glasgow. Because that was the place where the racing was really happening. There was a world-famous DJ there called Richie Horton, who's still going today. And I went into this place. And I can tell you now, it looked and felt amazing. It was this circular building in the Barrowlands. It's closed down now. It's circular. And there were speakers all the way around it. And the music was so loud and the people were jumping in unison. Anybody seen um, that film Avatar? You know people, they all—they all doing this together and they sway. It was like that, but in circles of people just jumping, boom, boom. They jumped so hard the floor actually was moving. And during one of those times when I was completely off it, because by this time I was taking I don't know how many pills, one of those times I sat in the corner of this room and I put God in a box in my head because I said to God, I'm bigger than you. I've worked you out. And I almost felt like at that moment in time I put the entirety of God in my own brain and put him in a box and closed the lid. I said, I've got you. I've got you. drove back home. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I've just been to the best club in the world. I've had the best time ever. I've put God into a box. I've experienced all life has got to give me. And I swallowed more pills than you can possibly imagine and went to bed. With no thought for my family, my friends, the circumstance. I said, God, I'm bigger than you now. There's nothing that this life has got for me. I wasn't expecting to wake up. But God had different ideas. The amount of paracetamol I took should have killed me. Full stop. Woke up the next morning. Sat bolt upright in bed. And it's the first time I heard God speak. Audibly. Audibly. He goes, Mark. And my first thought, I've got you in a box. How can you even speak to me? He goes, Mark, get up, go downstairs, and get on with your life. It's not for you to decide when your time is done. I've got stuff for you to do. I was so freaked out, not by the voice of God but by the fact of how the heck am I still alive? I went downstairs, I looked in the, in the bin, and there is a paracetamol, paracetamol bottle. And I thought, that ain't possible. There were no side effects other than my duvet being sat, I mean, it was like somebody had poured 14 gallons of water over it. And my mum said to me, if you wet the bed... That was the only side effect. Frozen peas. (laughs) Where do they come into it? Believe it or not, even after all that, I still continue to go to these parties. They'd lost their attraction somewhat because of what had happened. But there was one time when I was sitting in the front room And the only two people in my house was me and my dad. And we were sitting there watching the news. Dad only ever watches the news, a bit of sport, and question time. That's his agenda. And as we sat there, my nose, it was almost like somebody had punched me straight square on the nose at that point. My nose exploded. And blood just went. (laughs) I was thinking, mum so far. And dad didn't say anything. But he got up and he went to the kitchen. I wonder if he remembers this. And he came back with a bag of frozen peas. And he placed it on the back of my head. And he goes, son, the drugs have got to stop. I felt broken at that point. Because this bubble thing here that I thought I'd created that had already known about. And I think if he'd come in at any other point and said anything, it wouldn't have made a difference. But he'd heard from God. My father in heaven used my father on earth to speak to me again. It's got to stop. There was no telling off, there was no haranguing, there was just that simple communication that burst that bubble, brought me back to a reality check. Soon after that I went to Spring Harvest, you now have Soul Survivor, Very very similar sort of thing. The Kleenex. At this spring harvest thing, I thought to myself, I need a new start. I don't need college. I don't need any of that sort of stuff. And that particular year, partway through the week, they showed the pitiful state of the street kids in Brazil. And I thought to myself, that's what I'll do. Mom and Dad. I don't want to go to college, university, forget it. I want to go to Brazil. I want to go to Brazil. I want to go and work with these street kids. I just want you to get away and have a real fresh start. Where did I end up? Epsom. <laughs> Worlds apart. My mum and dad have always amazed me in how clear they can communicate the heart of God sometimes. So rather than them sort of saying, you are going to university, you're going to do this and you're going to do that, you're bloom well done there, we we'll paid for private school, we've done this, done that, uh uh-uh. uh. It was a, okay, if you think that's what God has asked of you, then you can go with our blessing. However, my dad said to me, we have to weigh these things. When God speaks, you weigh it. You don't just jump in with both feet and get on with it. And he goes, you apply for university. You apply for the three colleges, and if you don't get into all three, then we'll take that as a... There's your ticket. You can go to Brazil. Cunning Mr. Baden thought, right, I'm going to apply for the three hardest colleges in the UK to get into. And so I did. And my college lecturers said to me, there is no point applying. Our students don't get into those colleges. It's just that it just doesn't happen. They don't like our style of work. They don't like what we do. There's no point in applying. I said, fantastic. And I filled the forms out. First one was Nottingham. I had an awful interview there. As you can imagine, I was gutted on the way out. One, one down, two to go. I went to the second interview. That was even worse than the first. I was like, Hallelujah! I'm going to Brazil. The third one Epsom School of Art and Design. In all the years that my lecturer had been teaching in Northampton College, she goes, We've never got a single student through even usually to the interview stage. They just literally discount us. And Dad goes to me for some reason. He goes, son, I'm going to drive you to your, le- your last interview. Whether or not he thought I hadn't been to the previous two, <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask him afterwards. But he drove me. And we got to the M25. Do we go left? Or do we go Right? Dad goes, I don't know. <laughs> and he goes, I think it's before sat-nav. I think it's this way. He picked the wrong way. The traffic was atrocious. We get to the college an hour and three quarters late for the interview. And all Dad's going on the way around him. Oh, I'm so sorry, son. Oh, I'm so sorry, son. Oh, I'm so sorry, son. I thought, I know you're sorry. I'm fucking <laughs> yes. I arrive at the college. I pick up my portfolio. Dad said, I want to sit in the car park and wait for you. And I walked into the college thinking, yes, this is a done deal now. Done deal. And I walked in and I said, Who are you? I said, Oh, I'm Mark Baden. I was meant to be here for an interview. I said, You're an hour, almost two hours late. There is no chance the lecturer is going to see you. Where this came from, to this day, I do not know. I said, I've been in a terrible car crash. I'm really sorry. (laughs) She goes, come in. Have a cup of tea. Would you like a biscuit? She called through to Lanny. Was it Lanny? Linda, the lecturer. She goes, the, appointment that missed his, the guy that I missed his appointment with you is here. He's been in a terrible car crash. Could you possibly squeeze him in? I'm thinking, no. <laughs> so I walked in with my portfolio. And I chucked it on the desk. I said, there you go. She flipped through two pages. She goes, do you know what? I'm not meant to say this to you. Because I'm meant to tell you in writing. But you've got a place. You've got a place. Hey, what are you doing to me? And I walked outside, holding my portfolio, thinking, oh, blimey Nora. And before I got to the car, Dad was out. And he put his arm around me and said, well done, son. Because God had already told him. Ready for number three? Moses and the burning bush. Why is he on there? At the time he passed that burning bush, he was pursuing his own agenda. In my thought process, when I looked at this, I thought, (laughs) I wonder how many people walked past that burning bush. There would have been plenty, do you know what I mean? That would have happened quite often. It was desert, it was hot. Bushfires would have been a common sort of thing. But that phrase of he turned aside is an interesting one. Because he was going in this direction, and yet he stopped. When I first read the story time ago, or my thought about my sort of uh, junior church teaching and stuff, I thought the reason he stopped was because he heard the voice of God. That wasn't the case. He stopped. He went to look to investigate. And at that point, God spoke to him. So question number one for today, are we pursuing our own agenda whilst missing what God is doing? Have we set ourselves? Have we set for young people? Have you set your future already? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to arrive here. It's great to have plans and stuff, but we need to be sensitive enough to hear the voice of God when he speaks. So how does this relate to to me? Look at me. I must have been in the sun. I think I was in Malta then. Meeting Tia was an interesting experience. So, I'm now away at Epsom School of Art and Design in a college it was impossible to get into for our students. And, to be honest with you, I was a lazy bum. I was there. I was proper lazy. I was thinking, I really don't want to be here. I wanted to be in Brazil. Epsom is not Brazil. God, what are you doing? But I was there. T, on the other hand, was one of those hard-working, she still is, individuals that really wanted to be there, really wanted a career in fashion, worked incredibly hard, produced amazing stuff, each and every project. I, believe it or not, blagged it. I remember one particular project, I didn't even turn up with anything. As you can imagine, we got set projects by external people. Everybody else is walking in with outfits and written bits and pictures and mood boards and everything. I had absolutely nothing. I got the second highest mark in the class. I don't ordain these kids, by the way. This is not the right way to operate. Because I went in there and I downloaded what was up in here verbalized it, and the lecturer, without seeing anything, got it. You can imagine how frustrated certain students were. (laughs) There was a time when I was walking in Epsom down the high street, and T at the time had a boyfriend on the opposite side of the road. I think he was visiting her for the weekend. I was walking down here with my mate, Alex, thinking, yep. Let's go back to the Um, student house and let's roll ourselves a nice big reefer and let's get stoned for the entire afternoon. That's the reason I didn't do much work. I spent most of my time in an intoxicated state even there. And for the second time something caught at the corner of my eye and I saw T and I stopped. Alex looks at me like what are you doing? I said that's the girl I'm going to marry. Alex looked at me like, what are you talking about? Because Alex was on my side of the fence at uni. He was like getting stoned and doing nothing. T was on the goody two-shoes side doing all the work and doing everything. He was like, you don't even know her. And I hadn't even spoken to T. She was on, do you know what I mean? She got on with that lot and we got on and did what we did. Never really spoken. In the natural, what was presented to me was, this is impossible. She's a goody chooshoo, she's doing her own stuff, she's got a boyfriend. And more than that, I'd never asked a girl out. I was an arrogant so and so back then. And I was of the opinion girls could ask me if they want to go out with me. I'm not asking them. pursuit oh my goodness so i turned aside i heard the voice of god i changed my direction everything went into befriending tea if that's the girl i'm gonna marry i better start speaking to her at least within about a month from then she split up from my boyfriend Boom! now's my chance sort of try to put on the baden charm i'm not interested that's what I got for a long time. God's got a real sense of humor. I'm not interested. But there came a point, and it's very, very interesting. There came a point during one of the critiques that we had, and it was a free project where we could choose to do a design based upon anything that we wanted to do. And for some reason, I chose a passage out of the book of Revelation. Because it's quite Dramatic, it's quite there's loads of imagery in there. And so I created this wonderful mood board and designed my outfit. And fashion college is lovely because you get critiqued in front of your entire class. But I don't do it one on one, no, 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 no. In front of the entire class. I'm standing there and Maggie the lecturer goes to me, You've chosen a Bible passage. You don't believe in all that nonsense, do you? And you know in the Matrix when stuff says stand still? (laughs) And I sense God saying, now you choose. My reputation at that point in my class was, that's Mark. He's the blagger. He's the worried boy. He's the party animal. He's the guy we can go and get. Weed from whenever we want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm stuck in this dilemma. You don't believe in all that nonsense, do you? And I believe it's one of the key decisions of my entire life, because I said, "Yep, yes, I do." The interesting thing unbeknownst to me is that T was on a journey to try and find God and the second she heard me say yes I do she thought that's somebody that knows about the Bible and stuff and that's how the conversation started we literally finished the end of that term we weren't sort of seeing each other or anything like that, but we exchanged numbers, and uh, my wonderful T step stepdad, Neil, answered the phone twice to me in that holiday. I phoned to speak to T after plucking up the code, and think I need to speak to her, I need to speak to her. Would you, uh, is, is, is T available, please? Who is this? Uh, it's somebody from uni. No, she's at work. Could you tell her that I called, please? yeah, no phone call back, thinking maybe I must have heard wrong, maybe this is not what's going to happen, two weeks later I make another phone call, same geezer on the phone, I was thinking oh boy, she's at work, did you give her my last message, think so, okay if you didn't please tell her that I called, no response, so we're back at uni on the first day back, my I see across the room, and I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> didn't bother phoning me, one more, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, Neil hadn't passed the messages on, so she was a little bit icy cold towards me too, thinking, Blooming didn't bother calling me. Once we worked out what happened and we got over that, we then spent, I don't know how many weeks, most evenings, driving up to the Epsom Downs, and you can see the whole of London. Anybody that knows T, you can ask Martin what she was like on the Alpha course. But T can generate questions out of nothing. And for night after night after night after night after night, she's just asked all manner of questions about God, about salvation, about the resurrection, about Jesus, about this. And God really honoured me in that time by answering all of those questions. But it wasn't about imparting it to T. it was about imparting it back to myself again. So as I spoke, I reminded myself of all the promises of God. As I spoke, I got excited about God again. As I spoke, we both came into revelation about who he is. When she walked down the aisle, she looked stunning. But not only that, if I had makeup on that morning, I would have cried. Oh, I was crying. One, at how amazing that she looked, but two, after God, you're faithful. Because you said, that was my wife, and there's my soulmate. We married for eighteen years. And I enjoy every day of our marriage. And I probably don't say enough to you, but I love you. (laughs) Story four. (laughs) Transparency versing saying just enough. Those that don't know, I've run various different businesses at different times. And there was one time in particular, the business was suffering and money was just ridiculously tight. <sighs> Got to the stage where I was dashing home to find the bills and get the bills, get all the red letters and hide them from T. Because I didn't want her to know how bad things were and I was taking money from this pot to pay that pot and this pot to pay that pot and this pot to pay that pot and that pot to pay this pot and it doing my head in and it felt like there was zero place to hide John Singleton heads up Lifeline Church And there's this thing called accountability that we talk about. Being accountable to somebody. What does that actually look like? Because I would have said at that point in time, I was accountable to John. I used to meet with him infrequently. He used to be saying to me, Mark, is everything going okay? How's the business? What's going on at home? He was interested. Do you know one of the reasons I came to Lifeline Church in the first place? It was on my first visit, John came and shook me by the hand. I thought, you're the church leader. You've got 300 people to look at or talk to. And yet you chose to come and talk to me. And he communicated something that he's continued to inspire me with. If you're visiting or here for the first time, welcome this morning. And I know if John was here, he'll be shaking you by the hand today and saying, Welcome got to the point where there was no pots left. There was nowhere left to run. And I went to see John, said, John, I need to see you. And I sat in his office and it all came out. For the first time, I was real with him. For the first time, everything that had been going on, the money problems, the business problems, the issues, the hiding the bills, everything, all spewed out. And he looked at me, and he knew, (laughs) I think like my dad knew, for the first time I was being real. And at that point, it allowed him to minister something to me. Because without that, without that openness, without that transparency, there's no way he could really speak into my life. Because I put those barriers up. I'll tell you this much, but I ain't telling you any more than that, because then you're going to look at me and think, and John being John, those that know him, he goes, right, and what do you think you have to do now then? Should have got to go and speak to T, don't I? (laughs) And he goes, yes, you do. And he goes, do you know what? If she kicks you out, tell her to give me a call and I'll come and help her pack your bags. That's John being John. But he communicated something to me that what I've been doing was so serious. Because not only was I not being open and transparent with him, but I wasn't being open and transparent with T. Tea. and T's called to be my partner together we're one I was almost back mirror image to that songs of praise to the six o'clock news my wife is wonderful she didn't kick me out but she was very firm. Said, so "Don't let it happen again." And there's been instances where I found that temptation to go back to being like that, especially when things get tough. But God's given me enough grace to say no. And so, if we do get a red letter now, the when it opens it. I brought things into the light and at that point the voice of God gets involved accountability can never ever be imposed you cannot make somebody be accountable to you it's a choice position so if you're accountable to somebody then I suggest you try the transparency route Let it all out. Because at that point, God can actually do something about it. You can hear. You get somebody else involved. And that feeling of walking out of that dark place into that light. I was saying to somebody yesterday, I felt like I was... Although I confessed that stuff to John, when I left his office, it was like I'd taken a huge, great backpack from off my shoulders. You know that feeling of like... You feel like you're floating a bit, don't you? That like, whoa just that sense from God is this is what life can be if you're living in openness and transparency. The backpack was still there, but it was empty. And I have choices that I can make on a daily basis now to chuck stuff back in there and carry it. or Get it out of there. Get it out. Get it confessed. Walk in light. And allow people that God has put around me to speak into my life. Story number five. This is the big one. I had a brief conversation with my parents about this last night around the dinner table. Don't they look cute? The funny thing is, this is on Facebook. My brother posted this picture. As you can see, they're both squeezed onto one of those. Is it a one-seater? And his caption was, Dad's lost enough weight for them both to fit on a sofa at the same time. (laughs) Seeing Dad's business fail had such an impact on our family, and it affected each of us in a different way. And part of my thing, believe it or not, was when I created my first business, I said to myself, this will not fail. I am not going to be in the same situation as my dad. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to become a multimillionaire. I'm going to prove all you people wrong. The Badens can succeed in this thing. And I was pursuing the completely the wrong thing. As some of you know, they paid me to go to private school through an incredibly hard financial time. And there was an element of guilt. Not that they imposed it upon myself to think, why are you paying for me to stay here when you could use the money to get us out of the financial difficulties that we're in? It doesn't make sense. And as I said, they both hear God very clearly. And although I didn't do particularly academically well at school, it ground me into the person that I am. It exposed me to the stuff that God wanted me to be exposed to. Going back to story number one. God knowing by our beginning from our end. The only thing I ever wanted was to make my dad proud. And my life became about that. Waiting for him one day to say, son, you've done it. You've done well. Wanting approval from man rather than wanting approval from my father in heaven. So it's another question for you. Are you attempting to please man? Is that what your life's become about? It was interesting. I shared a couple of weeks ago, and this, believe it or not, me speaking this morning is part of my journey. It's part of my clear sound revelation. Because for far too long, I think I said last time, I didn't believe I had anything to say. One-on-one with people, yeah, I was fine. Praying for people, I was fine. But feeling that somebody that could come from that place of a drug-fueled person, drug dealer, messed up individual, attempt to take my own life, I thought that does not qualify me to stand here and talk. And I think there was a fear that grips me. A fear of failure, a fear of embarrassment. And part of me doing this and being open, and that's why I said God's got a sense of humor. Mum and dad are here today. They've heard some stuff today they probably didn't even know, didn't have any inkling about. But this is who I am. And I would not be the person that I am without being on that journey. And God has guided me every single step of the way. Every single step of the way. On Wednesday when the worship team got together, Rose did an amazing job at introducing this particular song. In fact I'm going to switch things around we'll do the song at the end sorry Anthony I'm no longer a slave to fear is one of the lines in the song you're about to hear and this morning I felt for us as a community what are you fearing what's the one fear in your life that grips you because it doesn't need to be there why because you're a child of God some of God's promises because of God's mercy and love I have been made alive in Christ my new self He's righteous and holy. I may not feel like that. I may not feel like I'm operating in that. But that's who he says that I am. And therefore I can walk in that. God loves me and has chosen me. Again. I may not feel like that. But he does. You were chosen. And he loves you. And for some of you, you might not even know what love is because you never experienced it. And that's just on a human-to-human scale. But that love that he has for us. Last Sunday, Easter, just that sense. The fact that he was whipped Beaten, flogged, crucified for you. That's my inheritance. So whether I know that I'm walking in it or not, whether you feel like you're worthy of it or not, it's done. You heard me shout it out last week it is finished. And that means that every problem, situation that you find yourself in now is already dealt with. When God looks at you as an individual, he sees your beginning from your end. And because he's outside of time, he just sees it, the whole thing, bang. He's not interested in the ups and down bits. He sees you complete, he sees you set free, he sees you covered in the blood of his son he sees you as holy and blameless that's what he sees that's what he sees and because he knows the beginning from our end the stuff and the troubles the people that God's put around us, our friends our family all been chosen by God to ensure that you reach the destination that he's planned for you since the beginning of time, since before you were spoken to being. Isn't that amazing? The ironic thing is, I'm going to finish with this before we play the song. On that stage, the biggest wave I ever went to was 10,000 people. I was on stage with the Prodigy. And it was, I mean, yeah, I'm not even going to do anymore. It was amazing. There was a sea of people out there. And yet, you know what? The day I first came and grabbed the uh, microphone off Richard when he was leading worship, because God just rose up in me and said, We need to go somewhere else this morning with worship. And I grabbed the microphone unannounced and I took it and I sang out to God he goes the other thing was counterfeit those 10,000 young people that were pulled up to the eyeballs completely off their rockers worshipping a DJ with worshipping the band called Prodigy all in unison yet that simple thing of coming and giving our praise and our worship to him that shall be, for him who was and is and is to come to the great I am, is the biggest privilege. And that's why I love to worship. That's why I love it. When I find myself crying. Jacob said to me recently, you're just crying all the time now, Dad. I cry because I believe God has deposited in me the Father's heart. And I believe the Father's heart is to see people restored, to see people set free, to see people come into that embrace with him, to see people, when life is tough, turn their eyes to him set their focus on him and reach the destination that God has purposed for their life before they were even born. And so we're going to end with this song. It will lead us into worship. Okay. So, if you're fearing anything this morning, Let this song minister to you and let it help you give that back to God to say, I am a child of God and I'm no longer a slave to fear.